With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H. Hey, everyone. It's Carl Anker. We do this every Tuesday. Um, remember to follow us on social media at Talking Tactics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, shout out. I think there's like 100 followers on Spotify last I checked. So shout out to you guys on Spotify. If you're listening on an Apple device, remember to leave us a five-star review. I haven't checked, but I think what we're going to start doing is like at the end of every month, we'll just read all the reviews at once. So get your February reviews in. And then on the last show of February, I'll just read them all. Patreon backers, 30 to 40 extra minutes of, of Talking Tactics will be coming to you whenever you feel like checking it out. I encourage you guys to download the Patreon app, actually. It's it's really good. So, mm. what, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave just like a little snippet, just a little preview of uh, what we talked about this week on, on Talking Tactics Extra right here. So I'm going to go ahead and leave that. A black person will not go into the middle of the woods, find a book, and then read it out and cause a zombie apocalypse. Like, I'm not doing that. What for? <laughs> like, too many things out here trying to kill it's me. It's like black people that. get out of the house. Once once they hear any sounds, we leave the house at the moment of any sound. So. Yeah, that, that's always the joke about black people in a haunted house. Oh, this house is where the murder. Get out. Okay, bye. All right, yeah, so for only $3 a month, you can get Talking Tactics Extra. Just please go look at the tiers and just decide if you want to and, and what works for you. Uh, to anyone listening to this, if you're, like, involved in media, like, 2,100 media jobs got lost in the last couple of five days. So, like, take it easy on yourself. Look after yourself, man. It sucks, man. By the way, uh, Liverpool are playing West Ham right now, so... If you hear little intermittent comments, all three of us are probably a little bit distracted by watching this game. So you'll get your little Liverpool updates here and there. So biggest game of the week. It's always fun when there's like a, a top six match to start the week out. Uh, we're going to go to England first, as we normally do. Manchester City hosted Arsenal. They scored within the first minute. Sergio Aguero. 50 seconds. 50 seconds. You know what? What was interesting <laughs> is like Manchester City scored within the first 30 seconds against Newcastle within the week they lost and now they went up early against arsenal and i was watching the game i was like hmm, how are they going to deal with this then arsenal get one back and it's like oh what could happen uh, but you know man city did their thing so what did you see from the game um i see that arsenal should probably forfeit games against man city because 
that was a waste of my time. In the second half, only one team was playing. How did City find it easier to play Arsenal than it was to play Palace, Leicester City or Newcastle? Because again, I say for Emery, do you do any defensive training at all? Do you do any defensive training at all? Because individually, the defenders of Palace and Newcastle and Leicester aren't as good as the defenders of Arsenal individually. Because again, like you can't defend like that. And just the thing that just shocked me the worst was just how easy City found it. How easy they found space, how easy they passed the ball around. Freaking Fernandinho was ghosting between being a central defender and a midfielder for the whole game. So Pep was literally just experimenting with tactics while he was just beating these guys up. 3-1 was not a real result. That, that was like a 4 or 5-1. Like the amount of times Leno was saving, and I keep saying this time and time again, Emery, you have to do more training in, in defense, especially when you're playing against a team that is that good in attacking. Either you focus on defense or get a, a defensive coach because your team literally is clueless with regards to marking and double teaming guys. And you know when a team is crap at defending when every man, woman, and child is pretty much behind the ball because you have so little confidence with building a defensive structure. You just say, look, everybody, men behind the ball. But then when you now have the ball, it's very hard to now get into a transition, especially with a present team like Man City. So it was just, it was, it was, it was a disgraceful performance from Arsenal. I'm going to do what I always do and slightly disagree with Have Hope. Mm. Uh, <laughs> right, like, yes, Arsenal were at sixes and sevens and were a, a bit of a shambles at the back. But I think it, it's unfair to put that all on Emery when you consider he's playing with his second, maybe third choice preferred back four. Like, you can really like, get into some of these defenders. Like, Mustafi was abysmal. Horrible. Yes, awful, awful, right? Uh, that first goal where he plays, the first goal is the second goal. Sorry, the, the problem I have is basically every single Man City goal is that five-a-side low cross. Um, that's the first one, where Iwobi loses the ball. The ball is played back in. That is, you know, that's Gwendouzi doing great work to recover the ball, giving it to Iwobi. Iwobi having a brain fart and losing it. And then Mustafi being a good five yards away from the rest of his back line. So he's, far, he's like way too far away to block the ball and way too far right to block any incoming cross. And he's way too deep, so he's playing everyone on side. Like, Mustafi's meant to be a World Cup winning centre-back, and he's, <laughs> I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, so, and I, uh, like, Mustafi's not good enough. Uh, you want to talk, like, Lichtenstein was picked up as a, as a cheap on the free at the age of, you know, 30-plus from, from Juventus. That's, like, a tried and tested, I'm just signed to a new club and football manager. Let me see who's on an expiring contract. Lichtensteiner mm-hmm. playing at right-back is not, Emery is a terrible manager. That's Emery going, oh man, I've got no one left other than the guy I use as a breaking, you know, breaking place of emergency. Arsenal were decent for that first half, but they are undone by the fact that this squad is very top heavy and uh, they're being undone by some very, very basic mistakes from personnel who are having brain farts. That right side of Lichsteiner and Iwobi was abysmal. Mustafi is has long proven himself to be not a top six centre-back. And then the rest of it is, is unfortunate. I think Guendouzi was was perhaps the only get player that came out of that Arsenal game with any merit. But the rest of it was just like, ah, oh, well, this this is the gap. This is the gap between Arsenal and Manchester City. This is why we've come on this podcast and we said it's not really a top six, it's a top five plus Arsenal. Because Arsenal have, you know, a Champions League quality front three, front four, and the mid-table defence. Uh, and other than that, like City were fantastic, scoring that 
you know, low tap cross that they've become very, very good at scoring. Hope has just mentioned why were Crystal Palace and Newcastle better defending this than Arsenal. I think that says one, both, you know, Newcastle and Crystal Palace are at close to full strength. And two, Newcastle and Crystal Palace have better defensive midfielders than Arsenal, which is a really weird thing to say. Both those teams play low blocks and counter-attacking football. They're not going to have their centre-backs or their defensive midfielders drift inside when they know Sterling or Sane or Bernardo Silva, whatever, likes to peel off on the outside. You know, Hodgson and Benitez very much know their players' limits and will say, you bloody well stay out wide because that's where he's going to try and get you. As opposed to what Emery is more likely to tell his charges, which of course, you know, if Arsenal went to Manchester City and went play counter-attacking football, I think Arsenal fans would be a bit, well, this is a bit weird. No, we're Arsenal. We should play decent football. Um, I find it interesting that Hope says that uh, Arsenal should forfeit every time they play Manchester City because this isn't the first time City have beaten Arsenal four times in a row since 1937. What? Four times in a row. <laughs> 1937? Uh, four times. 1930. Yeah, four t- the, the caveat is four times in a row. Uh, also, I think it's now the uh, terrible run Arsenal have away from home against the top six uh, continues. I think they haven't beaten a top six side away from home since uh, Santi Cazola and, and Coquelin were in their centre midfield. So, wow. it's been a while. The last, since they've done it, Mourinho has been sacked by Chelsea and sacked by Manchester United. Um, you know, I, I don't have the stats on this, but if you had to guess, like, what are the yards that Sergio Aguero had to score all three goals? Like, if you had to add up goal one, goal two, goal three, how many yards do you think was in that? Like, five? Like, like the first one was a tap in, basically. The second one, tap in. Was the third one the one that was like handball, yeah, maybe? Yeah, like, yeah, boy, yeah. Like two yards, yeah. How, how do you stop that run that he makes to like the near post and then the speed of either Sane, Sterling, Silva that could just beat a man and put the cross in fast or their fullbacks, whether it's Walker, Mendy when he's fit? It's a cheat code. It, it speaks to just how good Pep Guardiola is at, at you know, f- figuring out this is how you create high percentage chances of football. Yeah, like they've, oh, they've figured like, out the most efficient way to score goals. Yeah, right? And, and I've, said, I've said this before. I said this just before they bought Mendy and I said this last season. This goal, it looks really, really easy to score. And, and like you can kind of... But the thing is, it's even hard to do on FIFA because it relies on <laughs> quick one-twos. It relies on having a fantastic striker that can ghost in behind. But Pep's done it really, really well. And, and he's managed to coach... He's managed to get it drilled into his players. He's managed to turn Raheem Sterling into the, this weird quasi-number nine winger who can ghost in and, and tap those things in. Aguero's movements improved and his link-up plays improved. That first goal was really good because basically like Sterling gets the ball, looks at Gundogan, taps it to him, and the moment he's played the ball towards Gundogan, he's peeled on the outside to receive the lofted ball from Gundogan. But the way he's run it, he's um, done what I call a banana run, where you don't run in a straight line because you know if you do, you'll be offside. But you deliberately curve your run from mm. point A to point B in such a way that by the time you get to point B, you will be onside, but exactly where you need to be. That run takes a lot of training, a lot of presence. And, you know, bad strikers often, bad forwards often do that thing and get offside. The fact that Pep's managed to coach Sterling and his, and his personality into doing that sort of run so they don't end up offside speaks to the quality of Pep's coaching. And also... What conversely is creating this really interesting thing where if a team can stop that, you can see City almost run out of ideas. And this is what happened against Newcastle. And this is what happened against Crystal Palace. And this is what happened when City do lose a game. It, it's because um, the opposite 
team's defensive midfielders or their fullbacks go, hang on, nope, I'm not going to do that because I know they're going to go and try and do this five-a-side goal. And you can see this every now and again, especially after like the 20, like 25th minute to the end of the first half where City go, well, we scored that goal um, and we tried doing it again and it's not really worked. Should we just pass around their penalty error for a bit? Which is, uh, I think will be an interesting narrative coming forward about when teams eventually get to a point where they can defend against this goal, what will the City team do next? Now, the answer to that will be Kevin De Bruyne will go Super Saiyan again, but it'll be fun to watch. Do you know your Wild Wild West football point? I think mm. that's the answer to your question about why Manchester City play better against Arsenal than they do against Newcastle or Crystal Palace. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, because now I believe that Pep's record against Emery, I think it's now eight wins, five draws, zero losses. And this is dating all the way back to La Liga as well. The thing about Emery is that he has a very ultra-attacking philosophy. He just doesn't preach defense at all. And the worst thing you can do to Pep is come out open and just play. As again, which is why I say, okay, maybe that's the reason why he struggles against a Palace or a Newcastle. So the whole Wild West thing is like, if you take Pep in a Wild West shootout, unless you've got Messi or Neymar on your team, his teams will, will beat you. You know, his teams will just pass around because what he prays for is, my gosh, you're going to give me space? Man, I've drilled this this whole passing thing into my guys that we're, we're going to pass the living hell out of you and we're just, we're just going to create more chances and therefore the probability of us scoring more goals is going to be far higher if you give us the opportunity to. Wait and a minute. And, 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 unless Emery changes his tact, he will continue to lose against Pep. Arsenal, obviously, losing is, is bad for a top four. I think they went into the week on 47 points joint with Chelsea. And uh, now they are three points behind Chelsea, who bounced back from their midweek pummeling at Bournemouth, which is not, not a combination of words I ever thought I'd say. Gonzalo Higuain looked good. Hazard looked good. Ross Barkley looked good. Huddersfield. In, yeah, but that's my point. Like, <laughs> in a game where Bar- Ross Barkley has like his best game in a Chelsea shirt, Higuain scores a couple times. Conte's out here giving like two assists and through balls and this and that. Is it the Chelsea players look good, or is it just like you have to take into account Huddersfield are just like one of the worst Premier League sides I think we've ever seen? This is my my points here. I am don't Higuain isn't the the guy yet. For forget that. Yes, it was a very good performance for me. Kante was the best player on the pitch. This was merely about a response to that hellish Bournemouth beatdown and a flipping reaction from Chelsea. But my only but my only point that I'm making is that. Like what Hazard did to those Huddersfield players is first of all criminal and should be made illegal. Because this dude, I think at the point three guys just, just just tried to bloody like plagiarize him or something. They're just like just destroy him. That's what Hazard can do when the guy's really on his game. And I think it just proved again that Hazard is far too good for this team. Hazard and Kante, they are far too good for, for this team. There's nobody that's even near their level on a footballing wise. But this game doesn't it, just, it doesn't mean anything because Huddersfield will get relegated. They are the worst team in the league. This was just about a confidence booster. But the real test is, okay, he can he now do it against better teams who know, actually know how to, to defend. Can can David Luiz actually defend better when he actually has an attack that actually knows what they're doing with individual players? Those are still question marks. I still say Luiz is dodgy. I'm not sure whether he can, is that guy. William and Pedro are still EEE. Um, that Lenka man. As who do you think should be Chelsea's long-term striker at the end of the season? Or do you think we should stick with Higuain for another year? So your kind of observations of Higuain and whether you think he's a more long-term solution than six months. 
the way this loan does worked out, it's basically to get Higuain's comparatively hefty wages off AC Milan's loan um, wage books. What's big wages for Milan won't be necessarily big wages for Chelsea. And I think what Higuain can offer Chelsea will be useful in the same way that what Giroud will be useful in a, in a similar way. Higuain looked good against Huddersfield. His movement, he was offside, but he did he did he wasn't offside in the way that Morata's been offside. He you know he is good at that bendy A to B run. And I don't know I want to use a better term this for this, but he looked up for it, you know. He 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 had the the way he hit that ball for his his, his goals, he struck those with venom. Uh he's allowing a hazard to, to fly in and around the area and come off the left, which is the most important thing for Chelsea. It's not so much Who's the striker? It's, does this striker have good chemistry with Eden Hazard? Who's your best attacking threat? And the answer seems to be yes already. And um, Hazard said some really interesting things after the um, the game where he basically went, he's a bit like Giroud. He's not like the traditional target man like Giroud, but he allows me to do this, this, and this, which is always the most you know important thing. Yeah, if you can keep Higuain on on comparatively decent wages, which is uh, you know in my head sub two hundred grand a week, and he doesn't mind twenty to thirty games next season, keep him. The, the interesting thing is basically who who out there on the transfer market can you can Chelsea get for seventy to eighty million? Who out there is there? I remember when Belotti was a big deal. Piantic. Piantic. Piantic is possible. AC Milan, so. But he moved to AC Milan, and also, would you much rather the tried and tested, proven striker who's a bit old but absolutely knows how to play Sarri ball, or would you want to take on an unknown youngster? Immobile would have been a pretty good one to go for. I mean, Higain. It's as you said, it's risky. It's risky, man. Higain is risky because this, he's. Higuain is, is good for this for these six months. And I, I said this when the deal went through. Higuain is going to get between 8 to 12, maybe 14 goals uh, in English football, in all competitions, but by the end of the season. But it's going to look like he can get a hat-trick every single game because Higuain is the same thing like Cavani, which is the same thing like Salah. They just have incredible movement. They just have that weird, we can ghost into the box and we just have an amazing amount. Higuain gets into a, a fantastic amount of goal-scoring opportunities and puts away an okay amount of them which is why he will never win a World Cup or a Champions League. But in the league, yeah, he'll get you enough goals. Yeah, you can do worse things than stick with Higuain. But, the, you know, this is, again, coloured by, is Eden Hazard going to stay? Which we don't know, because Sarri said, if Hazard wants to leave, Hazard can leave in the summer. And I think everyone's, I think everyone in Chelsea is at this point now where if Hazard wants to go to Real Madrid, he can go to Real Madrid. But also Chelsea won at least £120 million for him. And also this Huddersfield team is bad, like yeah. really bad. Derby's historically the worst team in Premier League history when they went went down, and uh, Huddersfield need one more point to not be that bad. Wait, 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 wait. hold on, hold on. Derby went down with eleven points. I, I think they had twelve or thirteen. Derby County, Huddersfield right now have eleven. Yeah, so Huddersfield are on eleven points, and they need one more point to to get to get past Derby's record. Like Huddersfield are relegated. It's now a question as mm. to whether or not they'll be historically bad as they get relegated. <laughs> and I, th- I, th- I think that's fair to say. And I think most Huddersfield yeah. fans are like, yeah, th- what we're going to do now with our new manager, Mr. Siver, is to, is to look at our squad and assess what we're going to do in the championship next season. Their, Mounier has had 41 shots on goal and only scored once. They, they don't have enough goals in them. Like, their defence is okay. You know, they had, like, the best first chance of the game. Like, Aaron Moy had a really close header that could have gone in. The quality in their team just isn't enough to keep them up. Like, they can have their one moment in a game, but if they don't take it, then it's just a struggle, especially against a team like Chelsea at home. Like, once that 4-0 at Bournemouth happened, it was just like, all right, Chelsea have to win, like, four, five, six, something 
just to get that gold difference back. <laughs> yeah, which which is really interesting. If you want, if I'm allowed to like quickly pivot into the Man United game, United no, were, go for it. Were, were good in the first 20 minutes against Leicester. Paul Pogba with a lovely weighted lofted ball to Marcus Rashford, who, who finished quite calmly. But for the most part, United weren't great against Leicester. Probably could have drawn that game if it wasn't for some decent trickery from uh, David De Gea and some last minute action from Herrera and Nemanja Matic. At the moment, I'll say what I said two weeks ago, which is basically Chelsea are in the driver's seat for top four. And I think they'll just they'll just beat United to that. I think Arsenal aren't realistic top four candidates, nor they expect to be. Um, but I think it's more or less a race between Chelsea and United for that top four. But position. see, it's close. It's, it's close at this point because oh, it's closer. Chelsea's next two league games are against Manchester City and Tottenham. One of your next two games is against Liverpool. Once you get those kind of three top six clashes out of the way and you see kind of where the dust settles, I think we'll have a far better picture, obviously. Another thing I, w- I want to like highlight is the fact that Sarri is, is into his into a cup final against Man City. True. So he's he's going to be in a League Cup. And if, if he manages to find a way to get past Man City, which he's already done this season, he'll win his first trophy. Very famously, Chelsea's most successful manager. He won four League Cups. And he famously used to say, the league winning the league cup is really important because when you win the league cup, it focuses your mind for the rest of the season, for like that final straight. So can we really see where we are in in April, really? Because United are going to have an awful March April period, um, whereas Chelsea's fixture list is slightly more favourable. So come the start of April, the start of May, United could be away a ways, and Chelsea could have locked up top four. But conversely, Chelsea could have had a situation where like you know what, screw the league, let's just try on the Europa because it's less games. I always say every new manager deserves at least a season and a summer after their first season because the initial summer, you have no idea what your team is about. After the whole season, Pep, you know, after that season, he saw what his team was about, saw what he needed to, to, to strengthen that year to lend the whole thing. Next season, they won the league. So, like, if a new manager comes in and the target is fourth and they're six, 16th, get the him. <laughs> and the hell out of there. So obviously, like it goes that, that that goes without saying. But most managers. Okay, so like, are you one who thinks David Moyes should have had like the rest of the season and then 100%. another summer? Hundred hundred percent. Because <laughs> what people I fail to realize you, is that I hate you. No, no, no. You're gonna really come on this podcast and say nonsense like that. No, 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 no. Because you're really gonna you're gonna say Ronald Koeman needs to stay at Crystal Palace. Really? No, no. You mean De Boer? The board, yeah, yeah, I'm, I got my oh, oh. mixed up. Okay, That's come on. Did, did Moyes have five losses in a row, or where, did Moyes have his first five matches? That was come on. That's my thing about Moyes was that okay, where did he f- finish with United at the end of the season? Sixth, seventh, seventh. Okay, where did Van Hal finish in the first season? Fourth. Where did he finish second season? Fifth. Both of these are an improvement on David Moyes. David Moyes is completely out of his depth. And look, I understand, I understand what you're saying, but the... the, the oh, no, no, he should have... I, I, think, I, think, I think managers should be given at least one season. Yes, they should. But also clubs should scout their managers. Clubs should not just hire whoever's going. Right? Mark Hughes nearly got two teams relegated last season. He should not have <laughs> got a year either. Like, look at what Southampton are doing now Mark Hughes is gone. There are some bad football managers who get jobs based on previous reputation rather than what they're doing. But yeah. that's a conversation for another day. I guess I, I guess we've we've talked about everybody in the top six except Spurs. You know, I kind of want to start with this one, just like on a, on a light note. I guess you mean Half Hope thinks Kane isn't world class because he hasn't won a trophy, but he also thinks Koulibaly is world class and he hasn't won a trophy. 
Can you yeah, ask him to explain himself? Have Pope explain yourself. Koulibaly won the Coppa Italia in, sorry, the Super Coppa in um, 2017. <laughs> so, so, Super Coppas on trophies, bro. So, because he was the equivalent <laughs> of the charity. It's still, okay, okay, what has Kim won? Has Kim even won a, 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 a Tiddly Wings trophy? I don't know. I don't play. I don't follow the City Wings Championship. He look. said the Super Cup. <laughs> no, no, it's look. It's still a trophy. No, no, come on, guys. The fact of the matter is that Koulibaly has a trophy. Hey, 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 hey! Koulibaly doesn't need a trophy to be world class. In the same way, Harry Kane doesn't need a trophy. They are both world class because they're both fantastic players. They both are top five in the world for the position they play in, and they would both improve nearly every single football team in the world if they went to play there. But wait, but just to clarify, no, the points I'm making is that now you can argue, work out or not, but I'm saying that I don't think Harry Kane should be allowed to eat at the same table as Lewandowski, Suarez, or Aguero. Bro, he, he can serve them meal, he can serve them bread, he can't be allowed on the same table as, as those guys. Bro, I'd, I'd agree, I'd agree with you in 2016, but Lewandowski and Suarez are old, and Aguero is better. I'll, I'll agree, Aguero is better, but Lewandowski and Suarez, they're good, but they ain't as good as they used to be. If you put Harry Kane, if you put two thousand, if you put Harry Kane in that Bayern Munich side, that Bayern Munich side would be better right now. How do you know? Uh, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have lost Ooh. to Bayern Leverkusen. That's for sure. Would they? Would they be? How, but how do you know? No, no, no. You can't make that statement. How do you I, know? I mean, look, I'm, I'm dicing with hypotheticals here, but I'm saying right now, Lewandowski is old. That Bayern Munich team needs a little bit extra movement, and I think Harry Kane would absolutely feast on teams in the Bundesliga. That's an interesting thought experiment. See, and I think. If you no, put Kane in Barcelona, I don't think they're better. No, I wouldn't because no, Barcelona. No, but Bayern Munich, maybe there's an argument to see. I think, but yeah, because Bayern, you know, Barcelona are a weird system, and if you if you're yeah. not friends with Lionel Messi, you're not going to work. But I think, yeah, there there there's maybe only one team in the world where Harry Kane wouldn't improve right now. The thing is, like Harry Kane was meant to be broken all of 2018, and he just made me look foolish, didn't he? He made every time you say Harry Kane isn't good enough, he's like, all right, fine, I'm just going to keep doing more impressive things. We thought Harry Kane was was just a fox in the box thing, and then most of 2018 he turned himself into arguably a fantastic number ten. Like the arguments for Harry Kane not being world class get smaller and smaller and smaller every single time he plays. And I think now the only asterisk really is can he turn it on in the big Champions League game? Which, providing he's fit before Dortmund happens, he probably will. Because it, like I think every argument against Harry Kane is can Harry Kane do this? Not can Spurs do this? But every question about Harry Kane is can Harry Kane do this? The answer is fast becoming yes or no, and now become yeah he probably can actually. But let's not talk about a guy who supports the New England Patriots. Do you think Kane is more important to Spurs than any other player on their team? Is Kane more important than Son? Is he more important than Erickson? Is he more important than Ali or Delhi? different degrees of importance like see someone as I always say like if I'm a defender the player I fear the most for Tottenham is Son and maybe Mora but the, but the player that I'm most fearful of is 100%, 100% Son that is Tottenham's most dangerous attacking player Harry Kane is just the higher volume goal scorer so that guy will just shift to the highest volume of goals on a consistent basis but as far as if we want to talk about clutch Goals at a key time and creating havoc and safe situations, that's Son. You know, that is just Son. So I think that Son and Kane are just as important, but for very different reasons. No, I think, oh, oops, key, you something really interesting there. Um, I, th I think Harry Kane is the most important. I think 
I think the way Chelsea, I think the way Tottenham play football is to make sure Harry Kane is in the position to score the most amount of goals. Um, I will, I will start. I'm going to start quietly banging this drum, which is Real Madrid need to buy Son. Like everything Real Madrid need for next season, Son can do. They need a player who can. They have Vinicius. Uh, yes, they do. Um, they need an experienced clutch player who can carry the ball through dribbles, who is two-footed and just absolutely loves shooting. Um, Son fits the bill. Uh, so remember how on this podcast I said Barcelona shouldn't buy Coutinho, they should go off and buy Ericsson. In the same way, I'm saying but, uh, Real Madrid shouldn't buy and Hazard, they should go and buy Son. Some eh? So they should um, get Son over Hazard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Because uh, also, like, in, let me just couch that with the fact that Son is just a little bit younger than Hazard. Son's 26 and Hazard's 28. Yeah, so for, for like what Real Madrid want to do going forward, I think it's not as big a downgrade for what Real Madrid want to do as that statement sounds. But also Real Madrid aren't going to do that because Hazard's far more mockable than Son is. Is he? Um, through Asia, uh, man. That's, Asia, that's a true. whole this Asian is, market. Like, I don't this is know very if true. people necessarily have this, like pan-asian idea of like he's korean but that'll work in china or japan i'm not up to date with that but if they do on any level i would suspect that sun might be a better buy than uh, eden hazard I've, I've, I've had a very serious conversation at work about Son and uh, his marketability all, all i will say is the fact that we're even having this conversation speaks to to how amazing son is and also to the fact that he should be knackered the entire spurred side should be knackered <laughs> Like most of the team was in the latest stages of that World Cup. There have been no signings. It is now early February. And not only are they not knackered, but they seem to be scoring more and more goals in the last 10 minutes. Are they juicing? Are they juicing? <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, mate, if... I've, I've said this before on this podcast. If doping exists in football, which it probably does, it has a lot to do with player recovery and miles run. So it's, if doping does exist in football, it probably is to make players fitter, not to make players have a better first touch. And if doping means I can enjoy a football team that plays in a similar style to a team like one of the uh, teams in London or one of the teams in the north of England that are impressive in their running styles, then so be it. <laughs> Very particular word choices there, Carl. I, I I felt the kind of slowdown. So I had a question in my head. I'm just gonna let it go. Maybe maybe it'll come back to me. Maybe it won't. Um, it's halftime of West Ham Liverpool, and it is one one. Antonio scores with his feet. Hey. So how do you guys feel about like deadline day these times? Like the winter deadline. Do you guys get incited by deadline day, the whole Sky Sports thing, homie nope. wearing his yellow tie and this and that? Like, does does deadline day mean anything to you or does it not? Nope. What used to be a, hey, mate, like, this is your second opportunity to go off and do things, quickly became a, if you're making a big deal in the January transfer window, something's gone wrong. And has now become a bit of a damp squib. Of the biggest transfer move of this deadline day of I don't want to say deadline day, but I want to say of the January transfer window was maybe Dominic Solanke going from Liverpool to Bournemouth for 19 million. Um, Gonzalo Higuain on the loan was quite interesting. Chelsea um, bought Pulisic. Chelsea did buy Pulisic, but he was loaned back. And but I think Barcelona bought the Ajax kid. Yeah, Frankie Young. But again, that that's this is the interesting thing. The big, truly exciting moves are now we're going to buy you and then loan you back. 
and yeah. then we'll get you back in the summer. Uh, uh, because a lot, of, a lot, of, it's really hard to change sides, and from uh, December to January, teams are now understanding the human element of shifting mid-season. Um, there was a really interesting article in the Guardian on Saturday, uh, talking to a lot of wags, and they were talking about like the, the experience of being a wife or a girlfriend of a footballer, and how you're constantly on the move, and how every time you set up roots, you know what happens. You're going to go on loan or go do something, and then you basically have to create a life. Or at like a hyper speed, not only to make yourself comfortable, but to make your husband or your boyfriend comfortable, so they can do their job properly. Which I thought was particularly interesting. Like, I don't know, like on a really tiny note, Higuain probably brought Sari coffee. What? No, because Higuain's come from Italy, right? So I imagine I could like I have imagined that when Higuain said hello to Sari, he's like, oh, by the way, I got you some coffee. And conversely, Higuain's now probably having a conversation with someone at Chelsea. Hey, where can I get this food? Which, you know, it sounds a bit childish, but these things kind of affect performance. If you got, you need to know where you can, what you want for breakfast. If, you, if you're a religious person, you need to know where your local uh, place of worship can be so you can have a calm Sunday. You need to make sure your kids are looked after and in the right schools if they are. You need to make sure if your wife has a certain particular profession, she can find that. Um, so I think a growing awareness of that has also meant that January transfer business, especially in the big top 1% clubs is, has slowed down a bit. It was like the the, the biggest <laughs> deadline day thing that was on TV. He's mm. like, where's where's Michi Betshuayi going to go? Like, really? I love Michi Betshuayi as a personality. Like, I, I hope he does well at Crystal Palace. But for him to be the lead on deadline day, I'm like, Jesus Christ, why is this even on TV? I mean, that's particularly interesting because he was going to West Ham. They had it all done. And, and basically at the last minute, uh, there was a conversation over how much uh, the percentage of the wages in West Ham went no. Like, on such margins can things be done. And the thing is, Bashar is probably going to be the difference between Crystal Palace staying up or getting relegated. He is exactly what Crystal Palace needs. Like a proper confident striker who has a bit of movement and will allow Zaha to do more Zaha things than play up front. Uh, and I, I think my final statement about deadline day is, would you like to know the last player at Tottenham Hotspur signed? Lucas Moura. Correct. It's been that long. A year ago. A year ago, Lucas Moore a year ago, and Spurs are still third. Just no, seriously, Levy is a very sick man, and I don't, I, I don't think it's fair for me to go further into that. But I'll probably keep things off the the right record. But I'll just say that Levy is a very sick man. Okay, um, so let's let's take a little peek at Europe quickly. So in the Bundesliga, as we've been keeping tabs on it over the season, the gap has kind of been fluctuating. I believe it was at nine for a point, so it's been at six for a while until. Bayern Munich lost. Did you see Leon Bailey's free kick? I did. He scored once in like the, his last 19 or 18. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I think 20-something games. That Is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I remember just looking at the stats quickly. He hadn't scored in a while, but that's a good way to kind of get back on the on the goal sheet. So, Bayern Munich lost to Leverkusen. Dortmund obviously kept up with their winning ways. And no, 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 no. Dortmund drew. Dortmund drew. No, it so, was quite a disappointing result for Dortmund. They are... Oh, no, no. Frankfurt's not. That's... I even said, because I was on a TV thing for my day job, and I did say that they would draw with Frankfurt, either 1-1 or 2-2, because Frankfurt... No, Frankfurt are the cup winners. They're the DFB Pokal Cup winners. So that's a good team. I think they're fifth. They're the cup winners, but they were on, won that cup on the Nico Kovac, who is now at Munich. And uh, I, I don't want to say they're a bad side. Like they, they currently have Luka Jovic, who has 13 goals for this season in the Bundesliga. He's top three. He's, he's well in the race for the top scorer in the Bundesliga. He's currently being into Liverpool. 
and uh, Barcelona and whatnot. He's only 20 years of age. He is just like ridiculously good and no one thought it would happen because he went from Belgrade um, two seasons ago, went to Benfica, did more or less nothing at Benfica and has got to Frankfurt now and he's just gone, yeah, I am the guy. Scored five goals in one game against Dusseldorf, which equaled Nieman uh, Lewandowski's record. And the interesting thing about Jovic is he's more or less doing it because Frankfurt is surrounded by other Balkan players. So they have a, a number of Croatian players and a number of Serbian players. And that's why he's good. He's one of those players that he's going to be really, really good. But if you move him to Liverpool, you better believe Klopp's going to have to start talking a lot of German to it. Or you better believe you need another Serbian kid to make that guy happy. So yeah, like Frankfurt are good, but Dortmund dropping points against them was not expected. And it's only really been helped by the fact that uh, Munich dropped points. I think that might be the end of Kovac at Munich. I Whoa, think, that's that's going a bit too far. I, I, th- I think regardless of what happens, even if they do manage to find a way to win at the end of the season, I think he might be told to step aside. Then who do you get? I have no idea, my friend. Wait, 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 wait. There's a certain free agent Portuguese manager who's never managed in Germany. Oh, hey, hey, <laughs> talk about it. Oh, boy. I was going to say. They would never hire him. They would never I was, hire him. I would, say, uh, I would say he's not. I'd say of the large clubs that want to buy, want to get Pochettino, I'd say first choice is Real Madrid, second choice is Manchester United, third choice is PSG. Fourth choice is Bayern Munich, and then fifth choice is Barcelona. So uh, I think Pochettino will have plenty of suitors. I can't believe I ranked five clubs that want Pochettino. I didn't even put Spurs in there. That's that's Germany in PSG. We've been kind of monitoring like what's what thirty eight times three or whatever. They've drawn points here or there, but people have thought that they might win league. Uh, Invincible. I'm sorry to announce that uh, thanks to I think a Nabil Fakir penalty. Lyon beat them. So PSG are no longer uh, invincible. They are definitely going to win league. Uh, but yeah, I think it was Di Maria who even opened the scoring, but they couldn't hold on to their lead. So PSG took an L. Like Manchester United look good. PSG are now dropping points in the league. Is that going to have any bearing on their Champions League match? I don't know. But they are, they're, they're, they're losing to my Knights. We already know this. This has been settled already. So No, no, boy. Do you know what, no, do you know what this says? What does it say? Champions League is going to be super interesting. Barcelona, they drew against Valencia. I don't know whether we'll get to the spin as well. Leon are going to give Barcelona a game. United are going to give PSG a, a game. I'm still not sleeping on my prospects. Ajax, this is a very <laughs> interesting Champions League knockout. I game, would love for Ajax to do something. Um, I think PSG just have too much firepower for Manchester United. Um, the Leon one will be really interesting because Leon's midfield... I think Leon have to have the ability to do a Monaco, which is just, hello, lads. This is our really, 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 really good, really young team. And we're going to get really far in the Champions League. Oh, everyone's bought. Uh, Leon's Senate midfield pairing. They're both going to go for 100 million. Easy. Both? 100 million each. Oh, man. In this market? 100 million. Wait, for who? In Dombele. In Dombele will go. And uh, Hussein Wa? Yeah. Al- Al- I don't know if Awa is going to be going for 100 mil. It's one of those. Hey, look, how much the Quillis go for? Safe. Also, you have to understand that Leon's Jean Michel Alas, Alas, Alas. The chairman is like the chairman <laughs> of you. Like before, we knew, but he was doing soconomics and Moneyball uh, before anyone else in Europe was doing it. I, it'd be a disservice to call him the French Daniel Levy, but that guy knows how to negotiate. He's more um, like the the French De Laurentiis from Napoli. 
Oh, Adili Reyes is a bit too eccentric. But I understand what you said. Yeah, like they, Leon have a very, very good chairman who knows how to negotiate a transfer deal, um, and he's been there for I want to say twenty years. He's been there since I was at school. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's been there a while. But that, that it's a decent transition if we want to go to Spain. Benzema has been playing well, formerly our player. Has he? Real Madrid's best player this season. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? I said it. <laughs> Uh, no, I think that's probably been Vinicius. Probably. Why do you think Vinicius is doing well? So, so the two months that Benzema went without scoring, he was still their best player? Yeah, bro. Benzema has been Real Madrid's best player in a season where Real Madrid have been quite bad. Well, I'm not saying Benzema is great and it's going to launch Real Madrid to a thing, but I think he's been their best slash most important player this season. When Real Madrid play well, it's because Benzema is playing well. And Real Madrid yeah. don't play well. Oh, I think so. But I will, I will admit, I, you know, I don't have eleven sports, so I'm watching on highlights and reading match reports. Hey, boy! I, but your boy got eleven sports, boy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I tell you, he, he, he is he is creating. He's having, he's getting a very nice partnership going with Venetius, which which is quite nice. Um, I'm, I quite enjoy the fact that Venetius might not be an own guard, but might be a good young player going to Real Madrid. You need to look at the lineup that Real Madrid had against um, Alaves. You had Reguillon, left back, Audrey Athola, right back, Danny Thelbaios in midfield, Vinicius up in attack. I saw Marcelo on the bench. I saw Isco on the bench. And I think what you're seeing from Slar is like, okay, you don't seem to have any money to buy a major star. I can assure you that I cannot blend experience with youth. And for me, Real Madrid's best player this season has been Vinicius. And, it, and as I was watching the game against Alaves, and Guillaume Babalag, I think he was the co-commentator, you've seen that. You realize that all these attacks are going down the left to an 18-year-old. But you have a guy on the right who is the big superstar in Bale that they're not trusting. So they're trusting a teenager more than they are trusting Bale. And that just shows you how much faith they have in this freaking teenager who has just literally lit up and just brought the excitement to Real Madrid. And it's like, I thought that these guys were out of there, but they have they found form. They're looking pretty. It seems as if they found a right balance between the between the young guys coming in and the older guys. Tony Cruz, I've never really rated him that highly. What? Tony Cruz? No, 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 no. For me, good, but I never rated him that highly. But um, what's it called? Isco, I think him man, I think his Real Madrid career is, is over. Like you can tell by his body language. And if you're getting benched by a a fetus, then I mean that's probably the right time just just to call it quits as, as a player. The yeah, my Real Madrid are looking, they're looking all right, you know, they're, they're looking all right, you know. But I still feel that La, La, La Liga is done, damage was already done before. It's going to be a huge battle in the Copa del Del Rey, massive. And I'm still going with Ajax, but you realize that Ajax lost 7 2 to Fernand before, so I think that might have sort of um, tweaked my prediction slightly. So, yeah. Have we talked about how we feel as people born in the 80s and 90s about like seeing footballers from the 2000s just like playing for Real Madrid? Callum Hudson-Odoi is born in like 2000, Ampadu's 2000, 2001. Like Real Madrid are relying on someone who was born in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This doesn't, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right to me. I did write about this about how the 2018 World Cup was particularly interesting for me because it was the first World Cup where most of the players were younger than me. So for the very first time, I wasn't looking up at all these heroes. I was looking at them either eye to eye or looking down. Like, oh, yeah, I have more life experience than you guys. Ish, you can be 20 years old and from Serbia. Oh, yeah. you, have more life, you have more life experience than me, you know. 
you can, you can be 18 years old from the barrio of Brazil and you've got more life experience than me. Mm. Trust me. But it, it is it is a very, it's an experience that is new for me, but obviously not for many of my friends or perhaps people listen to this podcast. But there, there, there is something that does change in, in you as a football consumer when the majority of the people on the pitch are younger than you. I'm, I've become more of an older brother or a paternal way I protect players I like now rather than what I used to, which is like, oh my God, it's less, Louis Saar is so cool and more Paul Pogba is my son and I need to protect him, if that makes sense. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's more like big brother more than like father's son, I think. But this is why I continue to stand Vince Carter because he's 42 and he makes me feel like I'm a kid still. <laughs> That's nice. I think that, that also says a lot about how like Vince Carter plays basketball as well. If you were a kid in 2000, you were Canadian and he played for Toronto and like just that whole thing was happening. He was jumping over people, you know, in the Olympics. Like you would have been a Vince Carter fan too. But yeah, it's just, I, I feel, I feel a way about like looking up people on, on Wikipedia and it says 2000. It's just like, Jesus. Man. No, no, that's, that's crazy. You guys got anything else like from Europe? We got some questions here on Syria. We could talk about these ones. Just do some questions and then we'll record this extra and then we can bounce. Um, This one's from, Hazim, who will win the top four race between Inter, Milan, Roma, Lazio, Atalanta, and Sampdoria? Um, the difference between third Inter and a Sampdoria is seven points. Serie A has their own top four race going on. I, I guess I'll answer both ways. Who do we think will win and who do we want to win top four? I think Atalanta's gonna, Atalanta's gonna crash into that top four race. They knocked out uh, Juventus from the Coppa Italia this week, in the midweek, which is the first time Juventus have lost in, in that competition in five years, I believe. At- Atalanta's been are good and they're going to get better. And I think they'll end up in there, thereabouts. They've got a nice, well-balanced side. Um, Napoli are quite secure in second place. Juventus are a done deal and win Serie A, despite the fact they drew 3-3 with Parma. Uh, yeah, like, I think it can all be Juventus will win Serie A, right? I, I, I hope and pray. Eight in a row. No, 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 no. I want I, I, 10. I, I, we want 10. We want Exactly. 10. I was just 10. about to say that. I hope and pray that they get a decade straight of dominance just to show everybody how trash this league has been for 10 years. You let one team win one league 10 times in a row. Oh, man. Like, there is no justification. No, no, I no, mean, no. a lot of that lies in the fact that one. If Manchester City won the Premier League 10 times in a row, that doesn't happen because, as we've described on this podcast, the, the way. The Premier League is actually competitive. The, well, the Premier League is competitive because of the TV deal and because of the way our rivalries have like figured out. So you, it's very hard for first to buy second. Uh, and in, in Germany, yeah, Bayern Munich are doing this currently, but historically speaking, blah, 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 blah. Whereas like any discussion of Serie A that doesn't talk about the match-fixing scandal and the punishment doled out to the match-fixing scandal is incomplete. Why is Serie A so horribly imbalanced? Because they basically nuked their entire league for a little bit and then when they rebuilt it, they rebuilt it badly, and they just never—they never fixed it. Serie A has been in like dire straits for years because they never really came to terms with the match fixing scandal. They didn't dole out the punishments properly from the match fixing scandal. And then the last true great rival and team that no, the last team that won the championship that wasn't Juventus, the owner had to pull out because he got involved in a sex scandal when he was the prime minister. Italy is bizarre. <laughs> So, um, um, and, and like, like in Italy, it's really interesting. I like one of them. One, if one of the Milan sides get in the Champions League, then we can start cooking some really interesting things going on. Roma need to sort themselves out because 
Like the Roma experiment, while being good, uh, very much needs them to finish in the top four because if they don't, they're in trouble. And Monkey ain't looking so hot if they're in, if they finish outside the Champions League places. I think Inter will just about just about take fourth because I don't trust Roma, Atlanta, and Sampdoria to be consistent. So I say yes, Inter third, Inter fourth, and then yeah, the rest will miss out. So Carl, am I right in saying that if you get top four in Italy now, there's no qualification? Like you go straight into the Champions League? Yes, yeah. in a in a lovely little uh, well, I say lovely little in a like halfway house admission from UEFA. UEFA gave top four spots instant qualification to England, Germany, Spain, and Italy. The reason UEFA did this was like uh, a kind of please don't create a Euro- European Super League. <laughs> please don't. Don't do it. Um, don't do it. It's like it, I think it's like the last step before it's basically as far UEFA can go without letting those teams do it. If the current four in Italy holds up and it's Juventus, Napoli, Inter, AC Milan, I hope, I hope that's the one that goes through because it's been like really, really, like I think this season was the first season in how many years that the San Siro's been a Champions League ground? Like yeah, a yeah. long, long time. So <laughs> Since Claudio Ranieri was at Inter Milan, it was... The, it was uh, yeah, it's just... It's, it's, it's which, weird, so. That's weird, isn't it? Claudio Ranieri was in charge of Inter Milan for a bit. But yeah, it's been that long. I think since... Coutinho was there, roughly. Both AC Milan and Inter Milan want to leave the San Siro and they want to find their own stadium because the stadium doesn't bring in enough money. It's got its joys and quirks, but it is old, it's crumbling about, and because of the way that stadium share works, it's very, very hard to merchandise because the moment Inter Milan finish a game, they have to have a stewarding crew come in and change all of the colours from blue into red, which means if you're a brand, unless unless you want to spend loads of money and make deals with both clubs, your advert is only going to be there for a limited time on a weekend as compared to if you put your money in uh, Roma. Question for HH. You know what? This is similar. Will you be introducing the Serie A division to the Brick Academy if Juventus win the 10th Scudetto in a row? Yes. Um, after Kyle Walker deleted his hilarious meme tweet and Klopp got fined for celebrating, what's your take on the Premier League being drained of personality? And I also want to tie into this question that the Ashley Barnes reaction to the penalty that was but wasn't given, and then he was booked for simulation, and he went to the linesman and just kind of berated him and blew him up, as compared to what Wilfred Zaha did when like, he was kind of provoked by Ward-Prowse by kind of pushing him or doing something with the ball in that way. He gets booked and being a little bit physical with it. Then he sarcastically claps the referee and gets a second yellow. Like, how come Zaha claps and gets a second yellow and gets a red card, but Ashley Barnes can just berate referees and it's I. Oh wait, wait. So, so, so he, he didn't get booked for that? No, he didn't. Because no, no. it's we're in this is weird state where you can swear at a referee, but if you sarcastically clap, that's an instant yellow card. What? Uh, I, 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 I'm reluctant to say Zaha got sent off, but Barnes didn't because of racism. Because it's one of those stupid things where it, it's just clapping in the same way that you know how you you can't spit, but you can slap. Or something like that. Like spitting on someone gets you a worse ban than slapping someone. It's one of those where like clapping someone just is worse than swearing because reasons. But as the the Premier League being drained of personality, I don't know if that's necessary. I don't think, I don't think it is. I think I think Kyle Walker put it up, and then someone had a very serious word about what happened the last time someone made a joke in the middle of a tight race, which was when Harry Kane posted those lines. I don't. I think England has it like superstitions and you don't want to chuck shit in the middle of the tire race, especially, well, like Kevin Keegan did it 
or he didn't chat shit, but he did his famous I would love it. And then uh, Raffini as later on, hey, that's a fat speech. When it was Liverpool chasing down Man United, I think English football has a particular aversion to teams in second place making comments about teams and number one in a tie race. You just don't do it because it seems to be jinxing it, really. Hmm. Do, play, do players, are players being sanitized? No, because I think players have had have more personality than ever before. This current two or three year batch of the Premier League, we now know on this podcast more about Premier League players than we've ever known about Premier League players ever. You know, what I do for a living at the Players' Tribune is evidence that players are more open about talking about anything than ever. Jesse Lingard's got his own logo and a clothing line. You know, 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago, what would you... 10 years ago, I said, no, maybe not 10 years ago. 15 years ago, how much did you know about Frank Lampard? Just that he was probably like... You knew who who he was married to, you knew his mum and dad were, and you knew where he played for West Ham. Whereas now, I can tell you, Ross Barkley got a whole bunch of tattoos when he was 14 years of age because he looked overage because he's just a big lad and is now currently going through a very painful scenario where he's getting all these tattoos removed and that's why he's wearing long sleeves. The level of information we have about players is just completely ramped up in the last 15 years. Mm. I'd say the Premier League does have problems in letting some players express their personalities, but I'd say the ones they do, that do, do it far more so than the ones that did 10, 15 years ago. What do you guys make of these appearance comparisons? As a United fan, I love Marcus Rashford, but is it right for us to get excited when we compare his appearance stats to the likes of Ronaldo and Kane at 100 appearances for their club? So, like, do you care about, like, how many appearances a player has? Nope. (laughs) Irrelevant. Irrelevant. It's an interesting stat, but I think what you want to see is the entirety of someone's career. Like, people can start really well and then fade away. You know, how many young players have you seen who had a really good start to, to their career, but then fitted away? Balotelli, the guy was pretty much a starter for Inter as a teenager. What happened to him? So You know what? He's at Marseille, so is it, <laughs> it's not been that bad at the end of the day. No, 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 no. Based on his talents and what he could have done, you don't go from Inter Milan starter as a, as a teenager to Marseille. You don't, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you do. No, oh, no, sure. no, no, no. Uh, but also, you know, the, you know I, think, I think that's that. It doesn't mean much. I think it, it's interesting to chart things. If you want to talk about Balotelli, let's talk about the fact that Balotelli won the Golden Boy, which is, you know, the Ballon d'Or for under 23s. And now he's at his, what, fifth, sixth club, Marseille. And he's regarded as a large. Nice. I'm just trying to count the clubs. So Inter, Milan, yep. City, yep. Nice, Marseille. And is there anyone else? Liverpool. Yep. Liverpool. Jesus. Was he at AC Milan? I think he was at, he was at AC Milan as well. Yeah, he was yeah. at he was at Milan twice. Yeah. On loan. Uh so he, you know, he's had his first show of clubs and you know he won the golden ball and he's now regarded as an okay striker, perhaps not uh, a strike, a fantastic striker for the modern football, uh striking things. So that's that. Um and then you want to talk about the person who came number two in that golden ball, uh Jack Wilshire, who is now can't get a game for West Ham. <laughs> Where so is like, Jack Wilshere, by the way? Like, well, I'm watching this game and I'm looking at West. I'm like, where is this guy? He's broke. He's broken. He's injured. Um, oh, he's injured uh, again. Of course, he's injured, and also he's not good enough to start that. He's not good enough to start that team. West Ham was very, very bad when Jack Wilshere and Mark Noble were in the middle, and then they moved in Declan Rice. Now West Ham are holding Liverpool to a draw right now. Last question. Uh, yes. Early EPL take for each host that they got wrong the most. Oh, for sure. Oh, my, easily for me. Joe Jorginho. 
easily. Jorginho. No, 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 please, no. I thought that Jorginho would definitely be one of the best new signings this season um, because I think it was between him and Naby Keita. And for me, even if Naby Keita hasn't really fitted in, I, I can already see an amazing player in Naby Keita already. And once Naby Keita fully fits into and really connects to this Liverpool side, he's going to be an, a great player. Jorginho, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see, see the use and everything. So, I thought you were going to admit like the whole South of 15 goals. Oh, no, no, that's cheesy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's cheesy. That's cheesy. Carl, Carl what, what, what is your most wrong opinion so far? Oh, this year? Um, well, I, I thought Mourinho would last the season. I absolutely did not see Mourinho getting sacked. Actually, until... I, I, actually, no. Sorry, sorry, but give me some love. I did say that Mourinho would be sacked by Christmas. Uh, if you did, Dan, this is the part where you splice it in. He definitely did. He definitely did. I don't, I don't need to splice that with it. Like, Fair enough. I mean, we, we all predicted the third season. And like we all predicted the third season. We all predicted Liverpool would be the, the biggest challenge to Manchester City. We all predicted that uh, Huddersfield would probably go down and that Cardiff have it hard. Um, uh, maybe we all... I want to say we over-egged the pudding with Wolves, but Wolves are seventh now, so no, yeah. we were bang on about Wolves. Uh, I think maybe we expected a bit too much from Everton, but I think largely we figured out the Premier League this season. Um, we've all been, I think we've all been underwhelmed and disappointed with Naby Keita. We all expected Naby Keita to be the dude, but he hasn't, which I think speaks to, you know, Jorginho, disappointing, Naby Keita, disappointing, Fabinho, getting there, Fred, barely played, like, it is really hard to tear up the Premier League in your debut season now as a centre midfielder. Mm. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more apparent, especially now, you know, we're in the age of guy again pressing and free eights and whatever complicated way these top managers want to describe it as. But I think our Premier League predictions have been pretty bang on. I think one thing I did not see coming, I did not see Real Madrid just <laughs> everywhere. I had no idea. <laughs> like, I, I did not see Lopetegui, the Lopetegui experiment to go this badly. I did not see Gareth Bale. Oddly, I didn't see Gareth Bale not being able to keep himself fit. I thought this was the year Gareth Bale was like, going to remind us he was a blue chip player, but he didn't. I'm quite disappointed by that. And I think that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just like one, one last word. You brought up Cardiff, and we didn't mention this last week because – it wasn't in the questions, and we did a mailbag episode. Just like RIP, I think it's been confirmed um, that Emiliano Sala and the pilot, um, David Ibbotson, I believe they found the plane that I read. So that's been confirmed. I know a lot of people were like, you know, maybe there's still hope that he's out there and this and that. But, um, yeah, I just want to say, like, thoughts. I don't know necessarily prayers, if that's your thing, but – um, to the communities in Nantes, in Argentina, in Cardiff, like you know, it's a tragedy. Um, yeah, the, the scenes at Cardiff on Saturday were were very moving. Neil Warnock is not a man who cries often, um, so to see him in his state was uh, very moving. Um, Warnock has said some very interesting things in in the aftermath of this tragedy. He. He's clearly going through a lot. He, he's saying words to the effect of, you know, the, the players didn't meet him, but I did. I talked to him a lot on the phone. I've met him. Um, I convinced him to come to Cardiff and said words on to the effect of if he hadn't done that, um, you can finish that sentence, which is which is worrying. I hope Warnock is talking to someone. Um, it, 
there have been some very interesting thoughts and opinions about this, about the connection between agents that managed to engineer the transfer. Um, I personally chose to not listen to Salah's WhatsApp voice notes. I think that was a bit too much. And yes, there might there, it may be worth having a wider conversation about um, modern transfer dealings and how agents get players from one club to another where they may not be particularly interested in or have particular affinities for um, and the way we look after players. Uh, but perhaps that the time to discuss that isn't quite now. It's definitely not the time to bring that point up because it's just... Oh, no, no, no. Just, I mean, we I mean, just found out. But it's just like, why are you... What, like, people don't understand, like, traveling on a plane, That it's just, it's not safe. Like, I'm not saying don't fly anywhere, but I'm just saying, like, I think we really have to take into consideration, like, the risk that people take just because they're footballers, just because they're sports people that you, you kind of, like, put that to the side, like, oh, it's just regular. They... They get on the plane. They're flying here, there, everywhere. They just go kick a ball around, like for for your entertainment. Like, obviously, they 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 do it to improve their own lives and things of that nature. Like, I'm not saying they get nothing from it, but to take into consideration that like people do put their lives at risk, at least in in some ways, just to to help you get your little inspiration on Saturdays and Sundays. Like, there are consequences to these things if things go wrong, and in this unfortunate case, something went wrong and. Yeah, I just think like we need to to think about that kind of stuff a little bit more. But have hope you haven't spoken. So. No, 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 like just sad, like completely sad. Because again, for my um, I think the news broke us for my day job. You know, obviously I work for a TV station, and the news actually broke while we we're while I was I was doing a few of my of my TV things, and I was just seeing how it was actually unfolding. Where yeah, it had gone missing. They couldn't find it. And all this time, I was just saying to myself, because who knows how deep that thing would have been under the sea. I was just hoping that, my gosh, just for the families, mm. at least find the body. You know, that's just what I said, at least find the body. Because I don't And I just think that that was just an important thing, because my fear was that for the families to have to have, like, an empty casket, that's just too messed up. You know, so, because, again, I think everybody already knew that, look, you know, it's there is zero chance of him surviving. But at the very least, for the families, find the body so at least the family just have that finality to go with you know but again to, to the whole point is like you know as i said i mean my gosh look at people's safeties man i mean with the whole chap coense thing i think messi and his team traveled in the same exact plane and they said that you know things were a bit dodgy and again i don't want to go into details because it's very morbid but you know there were words to the effects of like um em em emiliano said that you know he already had a bit of misgivings with how safe the plane was so with all of these things with the agents and anything, hopefully this is a learning experience of don't cut corners with anything, especially with transport. And planes are still risky, even if the the, the, the degrees to which planes and um, crashes low, it is still risky. Do not cut corners with anything. If you're flying from waste to another place, whether it's a helicopter, whether it's a thingy plane, make sure that it is fully safe, and then you go. But yeah, I mean, just oh, like if you you just the helicopter just reminded me of what happened to the Lester. Yeah, ceremony. there we go. Yeah, sour way to leave the podcast, but uh, mm. you know, I'm smiling, but you know, it's kind of the whole laugh to stop from crying thing. Mm. Um, mm. So if you're a Patreon backer, 
you'll get your 30 to 40 extra minutes of talking tactics. Whenever you feel to look it up, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Talking Tactics. Leave a five star review on iTunes if that's your thing. Even if it isn't, leave us one anyway. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow us. Like I said, I think we're close to 100 there, or thereabout. Liverpool one, West Ham one. We'll see what happens probably in the extra. So yeah, I'm at I'm at Daniel to look. You can find your boy at Half Hope Hot. Anchorman six one six. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always, 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 always football. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Good luck. Sports Social Podcast Network.